0: Okay, so Stevie already said it, but I want to take advantage of the opportunity to say it myself. Um, what a blessing. What a blessing to be able to see these young people up here leading us in worship. And um, Thank you, parents and, and grandparents and friends. One of my, something that Veto and I think about and talk about a lot, one of the greatest privileges that we have is um, being able to work with your students is being able to work with your students. And, and we, know, we know that um, it's a responsibility to shepherd souls. Think about that, a shepherd of souls. It's a responsibility that we have that we never want to take lightly. And we know that our role as, as leaders, spiritual leaders in your kids' lives is that best third. You know, the Lord plays the biggest role, and you all as parents and grandparents have um, a much more important role than we ever could fulfill as spiritual leaders for your kids we know that so many of you have raised your kids in the Word and, and made disciples out of your kids, and, and allowing us to spend time with them and hang out with them is just such a blessing. That response, it's something that none of us are worthy of. Stevie or, or, or I or my wife and Stevie's, Stevie's wife, Sam, Alan, Taylor, any of our volunteers, leaders in college, high school, it's, it's not something that any of us are worthy of, but it's, it's a blessing that we get to do it. So thank you, really thank you. Um, and I, I was having this conversation, I had this conversation actually three or four times this weekend already with different people in all the services, about being able to see young people up here leading worship this way. It gives you hope for the future, to see young people in the church, amen? So let's, let's give it up for the Lord for allowing us to partake in things like this. Amen. This morning I went to, um, this morning I went to... Albertsons to buy some snacks. I waited until the very last second to go buy stuff to bring for food today. And while I was at Albertson's, you know, I was dressed like this and then I went through the self-checkout deal and, and the person, person there the person there was like, Are you going to church? I'm like, Yes, I am. That's why I'm dressed like this. And she's, she's like, like, Oh, cool. And I don't know why I said this, but I was like, Yeah, today's actually our our student led service. And she's like, no, Okay. And there's no reason why she should have known what that meant. And I was like, Yeah, so our our high school students are doing the music. And then they help, like, pass the offering place and stuff like that. And her response to that was, oh, man, teenagers, that's a rough part of life. And I was like, yeah, it is. But if you can – but it's awesome when you can minister with and to alongside teenagers that are passionate about the Lord and be able to use that energy and passion and motivation in in, in a direction that, like, sparks passion and energy and motivation in the church – It's a really huge blessing to be able to do that. And, um, guys, we are just so grateful for all of the investment that you've made. Um, When you invest, members, when you invest in this church, your time, your energy, your prayers, your resources, your money, a portion of that goes to support the ministry that we do with our students. And so thank you, really. Um, And and it's fun to be able to showcase just how the Lord has been growing and maturing and using and developing all of our students. Um, What we're going to do today is consider the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Um, something that we do a lot with our students and um, as we go through Sunday school and teaching, is and many of you have heard this before. I'm going to say it again. It's fine. Repetition is a good thing. Um, we, we, we like to go through books, books in the Bible expositionally, verse by verse. That's all that means. To do an expositional teaching over a period of time just means that you go verse by verse through a certain book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and what that does, it's more effective just doing topical teachings, like today we're going to talk about faith or grace, that's fine, but when, but when you go expositionally through the Word of God, you're actually giving something substantial to the students and to whoever is listening that they can hold on to so they can have knowledge surrounding what it is that's being taught. And so today what we're going to do is read this, and then we'll get into it, all right? So everybody, if you'll read along with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, You have been called. Tell them, come on, everyone, everyone, you have been called. There we go. Now turn to your other neighbor. If you're looking at the back of their head, just wait for them to look at you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Ask them, what is your calling? A lot of the students in here are like, I don't know, I'm thirteen. <laughs> My calling. <laughs> Some of you are a lot older than that, and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> now say say this. About, say this over yourself. Everyone say it out loud. Say, I have, I have been called. I've been called. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the context of what's surrounding this passage. The idea of calling in mind. We'll start by getting a little bit of context and then use our time to focus on these three different uses of the word call that are cleverly used in the New Testament. Thinking of the call, your calling, and the called. Okay? These three different two different words in Greek that are used, that are synonymous, and they, they have a similar derivative, but the way that they're used, especially in this passage, have a very unique and clever use that gives us a distinct idea of what Paul is trying to communicate to us. And we're going to think of three. The call, your calling, and the called. So first of all, Paul, we do this every week with our students just to kind of, again, to build that knowledge. So students, where are you at? I'm going to put you on the spot. Who wrote the book of 1 Corinthians? You, not just students. Everyone can do it too. Um, who did Paul write the book of Corinthians to? Wow, that was awesome. Good job. Okay, where was Paul? Where was Paul when he wrote the book of First Corinthians? What kind of book is First Corinthians? Nice. Good job. Three guys over there. Good job. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we know. We know this. That Paul wrote to Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Um, This was not actually the first letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. When you read through 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I think in chapter 5, he says, As I wrote to you before. So we kind of learned something there. These are not the only letters that are in Scripture. These aren't the only letters that Paul ever wrote. And these are not the only churches that Paul ever planted. The cool thing about what we have in the New Testament Scripture is these letters were accepted as authoritative. And recognized as authoritative is in the first century, and then we see them being used as a regular part of liturgy worship um, quotation in the second and third centuries way back then in, 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 that, in that part of our history of the church. And so um, it's called First Corinthians because it's just the first letter that we have in our Bible that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. So Paul, he spent about a year and a half when he was in Corinth. We, we know what happened before that, right? Paul, um, also known as Saul, a lot of people think that he was Saul, and then when he, when he was converted, his name was turned to Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. In, in Philippians chapter 3, we learn that Paul he even says, I, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. Um, as, for, as, for, as for righteousness according to the law, he said this, faultless. It's pretty bold, right? Because as for zeal, I persecuted the church. And we can read about that. In Acts chapter 8, we see that Saul is standing before this committee of other Jews that have captured Stephen, because he kept talking about Jesus, and they said, we need to stone him because of this blasphemy, and then Saul looks, and he approves of it, and Stephen was stoned to death. So Saul, while he's on his way to Damascus to go do the exact same thing he's, he's encountered, literally and audibly by Jesus, physically appears to him, audibly speaks to him, and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then from there, we, over about the next 10 years, maybe even longer than that, we see Saul go through this process of, of, of sanctification. He gets saved. He, his life is sanctified. It's set apart for the, for the work of the Lord. And he goes from killing Christians and having Christians tortured and killed in prison to making churches, to planting churches all over the known world. Corinth was one of those places. What was Paul's custom? Who, who would be the first people that he would try and go and minister to when he get into a new city? What? The Jews. Does everyone say the Jews. He would go into the synagogues and try to reason with the teachers of the law from the scriptures. He would look and say, look at these prophecies. Look at these Old Testament scriptures. This has been fulfilled by Jesus. He is God. He is the Messiah. He resurrected from the grave. And in most cities, he would win favor in the synagogues and get a lot of converts and then use that as like a push, like as a... As a as a ground to sort of push forward to advance the church in that city. However, in Corinth, he was kind of stonewalled initially when he first went to the synagogues. He had just gone through all these other areas in Thessalonica and, and, and had, was, being, was being pursued by all these Jews that were trying to capture him and really probably kill him. And so he was alone in Corinth, rejected by the Jews, discouraged all by himself. And then we see it again. Jesus audibly and physically appears to Jesus he he literally appeared to him and he audibly spoke to him remain here for I have a lot of cool things for you to do that's paraphrasing and and then and and so Paul stayed there for a year and a half he planted this church a ton of great ministry and then he went to Ephesus and for about a period of one year he wrote he first he wrote he he wrote a letter right and then he wrote first Corinthians and second Corinthians while he was in Ephesus about, just just under a year apart, probably. Um, and so we say, like, well, what was Paul writing about? So there's this girl, her name's Chloe. She was from Corinth. She came to visit Paul while he was in Ephesus. And with with our high schoolers, we always say that like Chloe snitched on everybody, but like, like it's, it's a good thing. You know, you know, you, you hear like the term "snitches get stitches." In this case, snitches had a good commendation in scripture about her. <laughs> So Chloe, she tells Paul, like, hey, Paul, you're not going to believe what's going on in Corinth right now. And Paul's like, yeah, tell me. And she's like, first of all, people are, like, getting crazy in worship. They're using the spiritual gifts inappropriately. Worship is being all disorderly. There's no, like, there's no structure. And it's just chaotic. Paul's like, oh, that's not good. she's like, well, that's not it. There's a ton of sexual immorality going on in Corinth. And that's not a surprise because... Corinth was really known. A lot of scholars today, and many of you've heard this, that Corinth is kind of known as like the Roman Empire's like Las Vegas. And there's actually this term that was used very often in like first, second century, and really before that literature. If someone was Corinthianized, it was a way of calling them like of lesser moral value, you know, like a floozy, you know. And so they, they would they would they would say you, you're like you've been Corinthian, like you're just you're inappropriate. I'm, I'm, you know, you can obviously imagine other words that would work well for that. But like, um, that wasn't a surprise that there was bad stuff like that going on in Corinth. But Chloe was like, "Yeah, but it's literally happening in the church, and it's being, and it's not just like being like swept under the rug. It's actually being tolerated. Some scholars even go as far as to say that it's that it was being like approved of or allowed. Some people would even say that it was being celebrated." And there's this one thing in, bar- in particular. Paul's like, "That's not good." Chloe's like, "Yeah." There's this there's this guy who's literally sleeping with his stepmother, and 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 the church is tolerating that. And Paul's like, "Okay, I got to do something about this." And so a few weeks, I preached on a Saturday night in First Corinthians six. We see Paul say, "Do you want me to come to you with a spirit with a rod of discipline or a spirit of gentleness?" What he was what he wasn't saying is, you want me to come hating you or loving you? He said, Do you want to respond to my discipline now by fixing this? Or do you want to wait until I come and have to deal with you in person? Some of you parents are in here, you're like, Yeah, come on. Don't spare the rod. Yeah. Right? Some of you kids are like, Yeah, I've I've been through that. I'm guilty. I've been through that a lot. Um and so Paul this is the context of what Paul is talking about. We just if you, look, if you look at me, verse 17 again, Paul says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. If you look back at verse 6 in chapter 7, Paul says this, he says this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. The context of that, he was talking about marriage. And he was like, look, It's better to be married than to burn with passion, for sure. But I I say this is a concession, not as a command. These are my words. This is Paul, the apostle, speaking. It's better if you were all as I myself am, which was single. And then he puts that into further context at the end of chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. he He goes into it and he says, why? Because a married man, he's concerned about the worries of this world, how to please his wife. And a married woman... She's concerned about the things of this world, how to please her husband. But an unmarried man, his concern is how to please the Lord. An unmarried woman, her concern is how to please the Lord. So if you're in here and you're single, whatever age you're at, you've got to take advantage of that incredible opportunity and blessing of your singleness. Our society says like singleness is something to be like pitied. It's something that's like, oh, that's too bad that you're, that you're single. When the truth of that is, is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that just gives you more ability to be able to, be able to fully live for him. That word devotion and divided that's used in that it's literally, it, it means right down the middle. So married people, you're, you, literally half of your time, half of your spiritual effort can't even go towards the Lord because you're concerned. And obviously you should honor your wives and your husbands, in a way, that honors God, for sure. But a lot of your time, your energy, your focus, your resources is, is spent on that, as it should be for you married people in here. But for you single people in here, oh my goodness, the opportunities that you have. Quit worrying about, like, I just want to find, I just want to find companionship. I just need, I need to find somebody to complete me. The, the Lord God is your complete companion. He's anything that you'll ever need. He is anything you ever need. Find contentment in him. Find contentment in him. And so Paul says this in 17. Look. The end. This is my rule in all the churches. So what we're talking about today, and what Paul, when Paul is writing, is like, look, I, what I just was talking about, that's a concession. It wasn't a command. But this, what I'm about to say, this is a rule. This is a command in all the churches. So what we're talking about today, ladies and gentlemen, who are sitting in these green chairs, I was about to say pews, they're green chairs. For those of you that are sitting in these green chairs, what we're talking about today is a command from the Word of God that is for every single person who's listening. If you're in here, you're listening, hopefully. Wake up and listen. Um, I can kind of understand this, this idea, the context of what Paul is talking about. Yesterday, Beto and I celebrated six years of marriage, which... So I like to think about it like we've started our seventh year because that's our expectation that we're going to complete another year and then we'll be starting our eighth year. A lot of people think of it as like I just had to finish my sixth year of marriage. And still, no, I love you, baby. Um, but there was a time when I didn't think this di- that, that yesterday would ever be a thing. <laughs> but when I was I, in, in high school, I asked that about three times and she said, no, no, no. And then when we graduated, both of our lives kind of weirdly kept us both in El Paso, and you know, everything kind of fell apart for me, you know, I, I lost a scholarship at a, at a really good school, Veto decided to give up a full-ride scholarship at Baylor to stay in El Paso to pursue the Lord and to do ministry, and so both of us were in El Paso, and I was like, sweet, the Lord has spoken, the stars are aligned, Veto, will you go out with me? And she was like, No. She pretty much said no and never. And I was like, what? And so there was a seven-month period where I was just lost. And I was frustrated. I was only 20. I felt like, you know, for those of you that are 20 or around that age and you, you don't know what you're doing in your, with your life, don't worry. You're only 20. Everything's going to be just fine, okay? Um, if you seek the Lord, that's how everything will be just fine. But but I was like, I don't. I was working at the bagel shop. I, I, I lost a really good scholarship at a, at a really good school. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do with my life. The woman of my dreams, is she hates me, which wasn't true. She just didn't want to date me. And I was like, well, this is the worst. You know, Woe is me. I sounded, like, I sounded like Baruch from earlier when Paul read, like, woe is me. And then after those seven months, I, I, I guys, I really did get to this place. I want you all to hear me on this. I don't say this to be proud or bold or proud or, or uh, you know, to, to brag. I don't, this is just the truth of what happened in my life. I got to this place where I was like, God, I just need you. Did you, did you. did you don't hear that song the junior high student sang right now? Wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, all I want is you. Jesus, all I want is you. Can y'all think with me for a second about the implications of those words?
1: Y'all need to think more about the words that
0: you're singing in worship because sometimes we sing things Out loud. That's a declaration, guys. And we do it in community worship together because we're calling each other accountable to those things. So when y'all stand in these, y'all stand in this building and sing those lyrics standing next to each other, wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, all I want is you. (laughs) Try this one day and be like, hey, I heard you. I heard you say it. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. Seriously. But I got to a place, guys, where I was like, Lord, I don't care if I flip, I was about to say burgers, I worked at the bagel shop, I don't care if I flip bagels for the rest of my life, and if I don't, go to, don't get a good college degree, or if I, I'm single, I just want you, Lord, all I need is you. You are everything that I need, and though I wanted all of this stuff, and my plans didn't work out the way I wanted them to, I just want you, Lord. And you said, and you this is, a, take notes if you're taking, this is a good thing to do. When you want to say a, a bold prayer, just refer to the word of God. I had heard a teaching on that recently, and I was like, okay, here I go, Lord. I am, I am committing my work and my life to you, so make my plan successful. I'm delighting in you, Lord, so put desires on my heart, because I don't know what I'm doing right now. Ten minutes later Becky Prado, a lot of you know Becky, she's our worship director here. Becky called me and she's like, can you meet tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then Murray texted me, he's like, can you meet with me tomorrow? I was like, yeah. And so the next day I met with Becky in her office and she offered me a job to, to lead worship on Saturday night. And then right after I met with Becky, I went into Murray's office, who was the last youth pastor before me. And he's like, hey, Drew, would you be interested in being an intern for the youth ministry? And I was like, yeah, I just prayed about that yesterday. So yeah, I'm interested in both of those things. And then within a week, that was like, we need to talk. And I was like, she's probably just going to, like you know, set the boundary because we were going to do ministry together. I was expecting her to be like, so, like, we're good, right? Like, still no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, guys, this is crazy. She literally told me, I think I'm ready to pursue a relationship with you. How was this, like? <laughs> okay, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's fine. Sweet, you yeah. know? And and what, I'm not sharing this story to tell you guys that when you just do a willy-nilly prayer that everything you want, God's going to just pour on your lap and give you. I literally came to a place where I did not care about anything but being close to the Lord. And I've fallen away from that mentality a lot over these last eight or nine years. I've moved away from that mentality a lot. I've been distracted by a lot of sin. I've been distracted by a lot of worries and cares in this life, by relationships, by selfishness, by pride. But I really did come to that place. And it's often where the Lord has to humble me and bring me back to that place. Of not needing anything else but Him. And and handling all of my responsibilities. This word call, that's used nine times. The word call is used nine times. In verse 20 it says, remain in the situation or condition. That word condition is actually calling. And it's the only time that the other word for call is used out of the eight times in this passage, that's the only time when it has anything to do with your vocation or your job or like what you do as a career, profession, or whatever. The other, the other eight times that this passage is used, it's referring to this idea. Paul used it um, to refer to the idea as um, the Holy Spirit's pull into fellowship with Christ, the call of God that comes to a person. In his vocation, or whatever, in whatever they're doing. It's the pool of the Holy Spirit drawing you into fellowship and obedience to him. And so the first thing that we're going to talk about is the call. In Matthew twenty-two fourteen, 14, Jesus says, many are called, but only few are chosen. We talked about this with our college students a few weeks ago, like, what does this mean, guys? And we had this really good conversation, really good discussion. Essentially, what we got out of it is it doesn't say that everyone is called. It says many are called, but only few are chosen. This word call is the same word that's used the one time in uh, First, uh, First Corinthians chapter 7. But in this context, it's talking about the call of the gospel. People who hear the, go- the good news of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus came. He lived the life that we were supposed to live, that we could never live, which was a perfect life. He, he died the death that we all deserved. He was put in our grave. And he walked out of it, which was something that we never would have been able to do. And and the good news about that is he did all of that so that those who believe will have eternal life. That's the good news for us. That was for our benefit, for our eternity. Many people are called, but few are chosen. I love this verse in Matthew 22 because it does two things. It shows us the responsibility of man, and it also shows us the total sovereignty of God. Not everybody is called. Many are. So when we're called, this, this, this insinuates that it's, there's, an, there's a, re- a response that's, that is expected. When we're called, there's a response of whether or not, there's the question of whether or not we're going to respond with saving faith. Yes, I believe this. I believe in the good news, and I want this. However, the only people that are going to respond to the, that calling are people that are what? What? Say it again, people are that people that are chosen. So we see in this verse the responsibility of men, but and more importantly, the sovereignty of God. You guys can argue about the topic of like man's free will and God's providence over lunch. We're not gonna figure it out right now. No one's figured that out. Those just those things are both true. God is totally sovereign, but we're responsible for our sin. We're responsible to to respond. And so we see this in this passage that the call is people that hear the gospel. That's what, that's what the call is. The second thing is your calling. Um, this, again, in verse 20, when Paul says, in the condition or in your calling, this has to deal with your vocation or your situation, your career, whatever it is that you do. Um, in this church, we have nurses and teachers, carpenters, contractors, managers, people in business, People in the military, house cleaners, bankers, police officers, firefighters, decorators, musicians, security guards, salesmen, plumbers, cabinet makers, pastors, missionaries, and many, many other things. That's just, that's just your vocation. That's just your situation that you're in. That's your calling. That's your career. I want to say one thing. God is much more concerned with the way that you do the job that you have now than he is with whether or not you get a new job or a better job or a promotion. Did y'all hear me when I said that? The most effective Christians in the world are people that do whatever their job is in excellence. The most effective, whether you're a pastor or if you're a security guard or whatever – the most effective Christians on this earth are the ones that are doing their job in excellence. A huge state. I'm a millennial. My generation. There's been like corporations and like businesses and like huge industries that have been founded on this idea of, like, like this this mentality of come and go as you please. Like yes, we, we open it around 10, but you can come into work whenever you want and leave whenever you feel like it. There's like literally jobs that operate like that. One of the most effective things that you guys can do to be effective in your jobs is being punctual. Being on time. I remember my first job, I interviewed for Adventure Zone. It's where the fun was, so I wanted to work there. I showed up late for my interview, and my boss was, I got the job, but he never liked me. And I was always like, it was just five minutes, What's a big deal. And then I remember when I was, when I was 15 years old, I, when I started playing golf, um, this guy Danny, the, the club pro at, my parents were here, I think y'all remember this, the club pro at Coronado Country Club, that he said, yes, I'll give you golf lessons, you need to be there at 8 o'clock, don't be late. I, I literally showed up, he was like, if you're late, I'm not going to coach you. And I was like, okay. I, sh- I walked out to the driving range at 8.01, and he wasn't there. And I was like, what a hypocrite. This is ridiculous. And so I, like, I stayed there until like 8.30, and I was like, this is insane. And then I walked back up to the pro shop, and there Danny was, just right there. And I was like, dude, where – and he's like, you weren't there at 8 o'clock, so I left. I was like, oh, you meant that, you know. I learned, a, I learned an important lesson. I went, I went to, complain to complain to my, my parents, parents and, and my mom was like, well, you should have been on time. And it was my fault. I didn't get ready in time. It wasn't, I mean, I didn't drive at the time. I wasn't ready on time. Being punctual, guys, and that's not all that there is to being excellent in your job. but that's definitely a huge one that a lot of us in here should be convicted by because that's a big part about being excellent. What we all need to hear is what lies most on the heart of God is not whether we move from one to the other, but whether in our present work we're enjoying God's promised presence and obeying his commands in the way we do our work. There's this mentality. And I don't have anyone in mind, so when I say what I'm about to say, don't think, because you're talking about me, I literally have no one in mind right now, so I'm not singling anybody out, but I know I've gotten this question a lot. People have been like, Drew, when are you going to like move on to the next thing? Like, ministering to students is something that's, you know, that sucks or whatever. And, and people are like, when are you going to go on and do the better? And I'm like, honestly, guys, the, the ways that God has ministered, to my wife and I, to Veto and I, during this season, and the things that he's put on our heart—it's all step-building community that takes some time to do, and it's for this job. And if the Lord leads, and I'm, I'm not saying that to bolster myself up. There's definitely times when I have this like next step mentality, but but the, our our culture does this. Like we we have this next step. Like, everything we do is just like a stepping stone to something better, this next step mentality. It's this grass is greener on the other side mentality that keeps us super ineffective in what we're supposed to be doing right now. Pastor Dan said this a lot, and it's always really challenged me. When you're thinking about whether or not you should be promoted or whether or not you should accept another job or go do something else or quit doing something that you're doing, the question that you need to ask yourself isn't like, well, it's going to benefit me more because I'll make more money, and it'll help me, you know, Gain more austerity in my job or career, profession or field. The question that you need to 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 consider: What is it, Dan? That you need to think: Have I fulfilled my ministry in this season that God has me in right now? Have I fulfilled what God's told me to do right now? If you can say that with confidence as you seek the Lord, go for it. Like Paul, Paul is not saying that. He's not, we're not condemning people to go on and do be, like, other better things or promotions. Paul even, you know, he, he uses in this passage, if you read along with me, in verse 18 he says, Was anyone at the time of his call circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. I don't even know how you would do that. That sounds awful. Don't seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised let him not seek circumcision. And then if you jump ahead and look at verse 21, were you a bond servant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. And listen to this little caveat that he gets to it. Hey, but if if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. So Paul Paul gives this little gives this little caveat in here saying, like, I'm not saying that if that you have to stay no matter what and whatever you're doing, because this is where God has you, period. So shut up. Don't talk to me about any promotion. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is just saying like, are you doing everything to your full ability in where you are right now? Are you walking in this calling in a way that shows that you have been called by God? And if you can say with confidence that that's the truth, then you can kind of move on from there. The third thing, is those who are the called those who are the called in verses 17 20 and 24 Paul says that we should remain we should remain in that state or condition or place in which into which we were called kaleo is, is where the, that word comes from in greek kaleo literally means called but in this context it's talking about the attitude That you had at the moment of your conversion. Think of this. uh, Think about this as I read this. This is John Piper that wrote this. This is so good. To remain in the state you were in when you were converted. To remain in the state you were in when you were drawn to God by God. That's what this idea of calling means. When you were drawn to God by God. Earlier we read... Um, from Jeremiah, chapter 45, um, Baruch was this, was this guy, his name in, in, in Hebrew mean, means blessed, and how he said, you know, he was seeking great things for himself, and Jeremiah was, do not seek great things for yourself. Well, this is true, this is true guys. For those of us that, have, that are truly are the called, the, the people that are truly called, I, we, I would say are true Christ followers. Many, many are called, few are chosen. Those who are chosen are the called, true believers, true Christ followers, right? And true Christ followers, their desire is first and foremost to do whatever it is the Lord wants them to do. Like we were saying earlier, whatever, wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, all I want is you, all I want is you. That's what it means to be called, the called be a true Christ follower. If you'll go back to your Bibles as we look again Jeremiah 45 go there. Jeremiah chapter 45. It's a very short chapter. In verse 3 we see um, Jeremiah saying some words to Baruch but Baruch I already said this his name his name means blessed or blessed in Hebrew. He was a scribe of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he was the prophet he was a prophet in Judah for in Jerusalem and Judah. During a time where they were about to go into Babylonian exile, and so what we see is Jeremiah was the weeping prophet because every time he had something to say to the people, you know, it was like, you guys are doomed. You guys are going to be destroyed. You guys... Are going to be utterly dismayed. God is going to wipe you off the face of the earth. You're going to be scattered. The walls are going to be burned down. People don't like hearing that kind of stuff. If if they're like in opposition to Jeremiah, and so they would like oppose him, they would like persecute him. And Baruch was his scribe. He would write down a lot of this stuff for Jeremiah. And Baruch, if you can read about it in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 51. He had a brother who was like one of the leading commanders in like the the, the military. So think about this, Baruch. He was a young man because he was a scribe to a, pro- to a prophet. He, was, he had to have been well-educated. That's why he was a scribe. He probably, you know, <laughs> lived in a pretty big shadow <laughs> with his brother. And we see that, 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 that God tells Jeremiah that this was what Baruch said. He's like, hey, God's like, hey, Jeremiah, this is what Baruch said. And look verse 3. Listen to all of the self like, self-centeredness of Baruch's complaints here. Verse three, Baruch said, woe is me for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning and I find no rest. And so Jeremiah told, or God told Jeremiah to say this, God's like, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord. So this is what Jeremiah told Baruch, behold, what I have built up, what I have built, I am breaking down and what I have planted, I am plucking up that is, the whole land. And do, and do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But if I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. Yeah, Baruch had some pretty big ambitions and desires and aspirations for his life. He he sought some good things, some big things for his... He was seeking great things for his own life. And this, this is not a popular message to share in America in the year 2020. To not be ambitious, to not seek great things for yourself. That your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, your desires, your hopes, that those are not important. That's not, that's not popular to talk about. I'm not up here condemning anybody saying, I'm not up here preaching, do not have goals. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying do not be ambitious. I'm not saying that. But upon a regular reading of Proverbs, we see that that's like the nature of man. Is, is to make plans. To prepare their way. To sort of think about what their life will look like and pursue things. But what Baruch was was hearing from Jeremiah that God told him to say is that, look, all of your dreams, all of your goals, all of your aspirations, they're not even going to matter anymore because Jerusalem, Judah, it's about to be wiped away. It's about to be destroyed. And so all of these goals and dreams and desires, aspirations, you're not not even going to have a place to try to pursue those. So don't, don't seek great things for yourself, Baruch. Don't do that. There's so many of us in here who are so fixated on, on the next better thing. We're so fixated on, how, you know, on, on things that could be deemed good things. We're fixated on how to parent our children. We're fixated on how to be excellent in our jobs. We're fixated on, on sin, on whatever, that we're ignoring the call that God has put on our lives to remain in the condition that we were called into. This desire to draw near, close in fellowship with the Lord and be obedient to his commandments. This is a very unfashionable teaching because it cuts to the nerve of worldly ambition. When you ask yourself the question, what is God's will for my life? Have you all ever asked yourself that? What's God's will for my life? For you young people in here, for young people, you're like, what's what? What is God's will for my life? Earlier, when y'all when y'all looked, looked at each other and asked each other, "What's your calling?" Whoa. I, think this is, I think this would be a great way to answer that question. His will is that I maintain close fellowship with Him, and that I devote myself to obeying His commandments. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. I love this passage, guys. You know, earlier we read, uh, we heard that, we saw that, heard, read, we saw that video about Financial Peace University. That's great. It's a great resource. There's been a lot of people that have been brought out of debt. Um, but what's, what, if, 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 what's the purpose of your net worth being $1.7 million when this world passes away? Yeah, get your financial stuff in order so that you can glorify the Lord so that you can support people that want to glorify the Lord so that you can model good, responsible spending to more effectively glorify the Lord but if your ambition is just to build your net worth, if your ambition is just to to do things for your own gain, when you're dead 1.7 million dollars is not going to mean anything it's going to mean nothing It'll mean maybe something for the people that get it when you're gone, but they're gonna go away too. And if they're not serving the Lord, if they if they're not serving the Lord by your example, then it was all for nothing. It's all for nothing. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where rust and moth—wow, where, where, where uh, rust and moth. There it is. Where, where rust and moth destroy. And thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where those two things can't come in and destroy and where thieves can't come in and steal. Oh my gosh, we talked about this, guys. Listen to this. Colossians 3, 20 24. Whatever you do, work heartily for, as for the Lord, and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's where you're Focus, aim, investment, ambition, it should all be for the Lord. If, you're, if you are wholeheartedly seeking God and making Him your primary ambition, understanding so that you are to remain in the situation into which you are called, you're going to be excellent at your job. You are going to have your financial situation secured, your kids, you're going to raise your kids in a way that honors and glorifies God. And usually, probably, they will also walk with the Lord. Probably. We asked our college students this a couple two weeks ago when we were talking about this passage. I asked them, hey, can somebody share a testimony with me about the moment of their conversion? Just some some feelings that they felt, some thoughts that they had, some, some of their experiences, just maybe some, some key things that they thought of or were just motivated by and uh, Stephanie Silverthorne, one of our college leaders, she shared awesome testimony. And then one of our one of our college students, Mason Strickler, he, he shared his testimony. And I, I asked for his permission if I could use him today, and he said, yeah. Um, but he was like, yeah, so he shared his, his testimony. It was awesome. He's like, yeah, at the moment of my salvation, he's like, there's really two things. And I, I, I thought, thought I was going to have to like, like ask leading questions to get to the point I wanted to make. But then he just said it, and I was like, sweet. Okay, yeah, I'm going to sit, sit down. down. Thank you for teaching for me. He said, there's there two things, Drew. First of all, the moment of my conversion, I had this overwhelming sense of peace and security. There's this doctrine that we talk about a lot um, in the church. We talk about this a lot with our students. Where um, it's called the assurance of salvation. A lot of you know this. I don't want to assume everyone in here does know this. But the assurance of our salvation, this doctrine teaches us that we can know, we can have with certainty, without a shadow of a doubt, Belief that we, once we're saved, we're always saved. There's nothing that we can do to reverse that. Because if you could do something to reverse your salvation, that would suggest that your sin, the power of your sin, is potentially more impactful and powerful than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which is not biblical. That's blasphemy. And so we, we teach this all the time, the security that we have, that he is the good shepherd no one can snatch us out of, his, out, of, out of Jesus' hand. And the Father who is greater than everyone, no one can snatch us out of his hand. Double coverage. Assurance of salvation. This is the testimony. Paul, John says this in First John. God has given us eternal life. Listen to this, guys. His life is in the Son. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Look, I don't know if everybody in here right now are, are Christians. It would be foolish for me to consider that everybody sitting in the, like the chairs at, at a church service, that, that you're a Christian. That, I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. We can see each other's fruit. We can see the way we love each other. We can see the way that we're obedient to the commandments. But I, don't, I do not want to assume that everybody in here is saved. And this, and this is what... what I, so I don't know if everybody in here is chosen, but I I'm, but I'm guarantee you that I'm positive about this thing. That everybody that's sitting in here right now, assuming that you've been awake while I've been teaching, you're called. You've been called. Because you've heard the gospel. Is God drawing you in? Is, is, God, is God leading you? He says, he who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So if you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, you do not have life. Your name is nothing unless it glorifies God. We sang about the name of Jesus earlier, guys. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. The name of Jesus is the name that's above every other name. And so we need to stop trying to bolster our own names. How awesome would it be if at the end of all of our lives... Our names are known as names that glorify God. Yesterday we celebrated a man, David Rindell. David Rindell, his he used his life to glorify God. He used his life to glorify the Lord. There's, there's some of you in here that are called. Everyone's called. Some of you in here have responded to that call. I asked, the, I asked you. You guys asked us questions to each other earlier. God's calling all of us. He's drawing all of us in. doesn't matter what your calling, vocation, situation is. If you're a Christian, if you're a true Christ follower, you are to remain in whatever situation you're in, in, the way that you were called. To act in a manner that's consistent with what you believe in Christ. And we're going to sing one more song. It's a time of commitment. And I could just get... Eric, can you come up here and Sam... If y'all need to come up and pray with us, if y'all need to talk to us, if you want to come up here to the altar, yeah, come on up. If you want to come up here to the altar and, and and pray and just confess some stuff to the Lord, I know it's like, you know, twelve twenty five and y'all are hungry, you wanna go watch football, it doesn't start until like one oh five, so don't worry. There's still time. Look, guys. God is calling all of us into deeper fellowship with Him. God is calling us. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you and um, just consider the fact that you've called us and those that you've drawn and chosen, you you brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. We were blind and now we can see. We were lame and now we can walk. We're thirsty and that's been quenched. We were hungry and now we're full. We were dead and now we're alive. I pray that we would act in a manner consistent with the way that we were called. That we'd be willing to give up everything. Why should I gain from this reward? I cannot give an answer. This I know with all my heart. Your wounds have paid my ransom. When we consider the implications of the gospel, help us to be the type of people that would say, whatever and wherever, I'm yours.